Welcome back to Industry Town. It has been a minute. It was time to take a break, catch my breath, refocus. You know, people are listening to fewer podcasts in the pandemic. I know I am. And so I wanted to make sure that the episodes I release the rest of the year have a really clear focus and a purpose. Uh, along the same lines, episodes are probably going to be closer to every other week for a while. No need to rush right now. Um, so what's the focus? Well, it's going to change as we go. Um, but the first one is that I haven't really looked too much into the world of voiceover on this show. In fact, I haven't at all. And that's pretty funny considering it's been a really big part of my career up to this point. And uh, my relationship to voiceover something that will probably come up more as, as the episodes go on. But I wanted to address it on the show. I was trying to figure out why that hadn't happened yet. And I think it's because... The entire voiceover industry feels somehow too broad to do in an episode, yet too niche at the exact same time. Um, so now I'm excited to just settle in and focus on it for a little while. Um, it's actually one of the areas that's thriving during pandemic. A lot of voiceover artists were already set up to work at home, and that investment paid off in ways they had never imagined. People are building entire booths, they're getting Source Connect, auditions are coming in, they're getting broadcast ready from their home, and even at the non-union, non-repped level, actors are working too. They are on freelance sites like Fiverr and Upwork, which is a whole conversation in and of itself. But the truth is, it's a big part of our industry. It's something people can be doing and building right now. And I know it's a thing a lot of people want to learn more about. So the next full of episodes, probably three or four, are going to be focused on that. Um, I've got some great guests, and they should hit on all the main areas of voiceover, like commercials, animation, and video games, and equipment, and how you start out. But today, we are going to start with the fastest-growing segment of the voiceover industry. In fact, it's one of the fastest-growing parts of the entire entertainment industry, period. And that's audiobooks. Narration. Last year, audiobooks, their sales increased 16% in the U.S. and generated over $1.2 billion. 2019 was also the first year that audiobook downloads sold more copies than ebooks. And these trends are happening around the world, meaning there is lots of work for actors to find if they're inclined to it. So today's guest is one of the stars of the audiobook world. I mean, this is this is as big a celebrity as you can get in this in this realm, and that is Eduardo Ballerini. He is the two-time winner of the Audiobook Publishers Association Best Male Narrator Audi Award. He has recorded nearly 300 titles, including bestsellers from major authors like James Patterson and David Baldacci. He's done classics from Tolstoy, Dante, Kafka, Whitman, and he has even the he even was the newest recording of the Hebrew Bible. I mean, the New York Times did a profile on, on Eduardo in May with the headline, The Voice of God. Eduardo is also a celebrated on-camera actor with major credits in The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire, 24, Elementary, and more. We met at Rogue Machine Theater in Los Angeles, where I saw him do some beautiful work. And I was so excited to talk to him about this because... I don't know anything about the world of audiobooks. That is one of the pieces that I've just, I haven't explored it too much. So getting the ins and outs of how did he get started? What is a session like? How do you promote yourself? How do you work with authors? And, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Okay, uh, that's a very long intro. Let's get to Eduardo. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. 
Okay, well, um, you're a busy man with a family and, and a different time zone, so let's let's just jump <laughs> in. Uh, Eduardo Ballerini, thank you so much for for speaking with me today and for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Um, so I started the podcast a while ago to hit different parts of the entertainment industry for actors. Um, everything from an agent to a casting director to an acting teacher to social media and on and on and on. And I've realized that an area I, I really hadn't hit properly was voiceover. And I had had you on my list of somebody that I wanted to talk to anyway for a while. It had been a long time since you and I had connected. Um, I recently saw that that New York Times piece, which was just very exciting. And I thought I would love to hear about your work and what you're doing these days. So um, I guess we're going to get into all of it and People have already heard some of this in the intro, but tell me just a little bit of how you first found voiceover. Um, well, I'm going to make one distinction in that um, I guess the industry makes the distinction, so it's important is that uh, there's kind of voiceover and then there's narration. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for people wondering what the difference means, voiceover tends to refer to commercial voiceover, maybe animation, although even that gets referred to as animation. And then in the last 10 years or so, we've had this explosion of audiobook narration. Um, and so that people are, are not calling voiceover because for whatever reason, um, but it's, it is certainly voice acting. Um, how I got into it, I'm a bit of an accidental uh, uh, audiobook person. I uh, had a long, have a long uh, career in film and TV. And kind of one day somebody said, oh, I'm thinking of getting into production audiobooks. Uh, do you want to do one. And I said, you know, what's an audiobook? I didn't really know. Uh, and she said, well, you know, there's, uh, there's more and more of this out there. And this was 13 years ago. So kind of pre audible, uh, you know, the MP3 was just becoming this big thing. And, um, and so we, we selected a public domain title because she didn't have any money to pay for rights for a book. And so we did Machiavelli's The Prince and I, really enjoyed it. I had a, a really good time recording it. I didn't think much of it, though, for a few years. I was still busy with, with film and television. I'd just been in The Sopranos. Uh, I later, a few years later, got a role in Boardwalk Empire. So that was kind of where my focus was. But the industry was growing, and a lot of actors were turning to it because it's another avenue for actors to, you know, practice their craft and make some money. Uh, and I was one of those people that kind of got swept along in that wave. And suddenly people are like, hey, audiobooks are happening. There's this place out in New Jersey called Audible, and they're, you know, bringing in actors, and they're paying and all this kind of stuff. And so I somehow, through one connection or another, met them and met uh, more people in the industry. And it's a fairly small industry, the audiobook industry. Uh, it's growing exponentially. But at the time, especially, it was a very small. You could put everybody in one room. Um, and so I started meeting people and, you know, happily for me, I discovered that I have uh, something of a knack for it and I enjoy the work. And a lot of actors ask me about it and I tell them right off the bat, it's not for everybody. It, it really isn't. I mean, it's a very specific kind of work. It's long hours in a booth. Uh, it's, it's like being a marathon runner as opposed to a sprinter, right? If uh, commercial VO is sprinting, uh, audiobook narration is the marathon. And, you know, you've got to kind of commune with, you know, 300, 400 pages of a book and play all the characters. And so it's a different beast. Uh, and it's not for everybody. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, I have a background in literature. 
My parents are academics. I kind of came from that world. I wanted to be a writer when I was in high school and college. Um, and so for me, it was this kind of like natural fit. All the pieces of the puzzle started to come together. And it's been going very well for the last, uh, certainly for the last five years. But I've been in this industry for about 10 years now. When you say you have a knack for it, um, is that just the temperament or do you feel like your skill set as an actor and what you really uh, specialized in or relied on comes through in narration? And I think a lot of it is the temperament. I really think a lot of it is the ability to, you know, kind of be still in this, you know, meditative Zen-like way with a, a book for days on end. Uh, you know, each session is going to run you, what, five, six hours. Um, and it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, and so I think that is a big part of it. Part B of it is the skill set as an actor. And that is that um, I've always been a character actor. You know, uh, I was never like a leading man. Uh, I was never the romantic lead. Um, and I love being a character actor. Um, and I've done a lot of uh, parts with accents. I speak two languages. So I've done uh, all these different kind of voices for the different characters I've played over the years. And that is kind of what goes into audiobook narration is you're playing all the characters. You know, you have to have a conversation between an elderly woman and a young man, you know, and then uh, the guy from Russia shows up, you know. And so there's a lot of that. And uh, that is, you know, so those two things in combination uh, are probably what's needed. And again, they're, they're kind of right in sort of who I was. And especially at the time, I um, I had a meditation, a meditation practice um, and I was kind of getting into this idea of sitting for long stretches. Um, and I discovered this branch of acting that sort of slipped right into that. So it was a, it was a perfect combination. That does seem to kind of fit hand in glove very nicely. Yeah. What, when you talk about a session, I want people to get an idea of what they would really be in for. Um, okay. So obviously they are long. Do, are you editing, especially at the beginning, were you editing any of this yourself? Did you always have an editor with you? And how much is there a back and forth during this yeah. of people listening in and giving notes? So it's a little bit different now because we're in you know pandemic world and people are recording by themselves. Um, but in a normal world, uh, you would work with an engineer for the most part. You'd go into a studio, you'd be on one side of the glass, uh, he or she'd be on the other side of the glass. You're reading... Uh, they would stop you for, you know, misreads or you know, stomach gurgles, whatever happens, right? Yeah. You kind of go back and fix those. But it's a kind of linear process. You're going kind of from A to B without a whole lot of revision. There's not a lot of like, you know, in chapter two that we did yesterday, let's revisit that exchange between these two characters. That There's not a lot of that. There's a, there's a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and so then the editing process, the proofing process, the mastering process, all of that, gets handed off to other people. Um, I, I would imagine that some people are doing it themselves, um, but I think it would be very difficult to, let's say, read a 10-hour book and then have to go listen to that 10-hour book and then, you know, check all your, 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 for your mistakes and do the, the inserts of the corrections and all that. It's probably better to have a fresh set of ears on that. Um, and that's the general way it goes. But your question too, you know, a long session... I mean, some people can really marathon it. I can't. After about five, six hours, I'm done. Uh, these days, my sessions are a bit shorter. They're about in the four-hour range because I'm working at night uh, just because my kids are home and I, 
I can't work during the day. Um, so, and I'm sort of cobbling together like, oh, I can get an hour here. Okay, I'm going to run down to the booth and, you know, do a little bit of work. And it's like, oh, yeah. you, you guys are going out for an hour and a half. Okay, I'm going to do another chapter, you know. So there's a bit of that that happens these days. Um, but, you know, a normal session would be five, six hours, maybe seven. And obviously you're going to drink some water, drink some tea. You're going to go to the bathroom. You're going to eat food, all of that stuff. <laughs> We're not masochists. Um, but, um, you know, you're going to be reading for, for most of that time. So, you know, you're going to be using your voice, you're going to be using your eyes, you're going to be sitting pretty still. Uh, and that presents a big challenge. I've met a lot of wonderful actors who just can't do it. They just, so it's not for them. Does that, do I hear you correctly then that in terms of creatively, mm. there is not a ton of input once you're hired, that if you're the guy and we're editing out gurgles and whatnot, <laughs> that in terms of the, your choices about the characters and... You know yeah. how how uh, how you might structure the 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 pace and build mm -hmm. of a chapter or something like that that you're not right. really having a lot of dialogue with clients. It is a largely self-directed industry. Uh, there are certainly projects that have directors. Uh, you know, in the pre-pandemic world where you were going into studios, uh, some of the larger titles, uh, let's say the ones that the publishers were really going to get behind, they might have a director on board. Uh, some of the sort of bigger budget titles might have a director on board, uh, you know, a James Patterson, a David Baldacci, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of like any, you know, it's like, like like the film world, you know. It's like different projects have different budgets. Uh, sure. and there's different levels of people involved. Um, some indie author who's never been published, you know, it's just going to be one actor doing it by him or herself. So... Um, but yes, it is by and large, even with directors, you know, and I've enjoyed working with all the directors I have, and some have been extraordinary and have really set me on the path in my career. But even there, by and large, once they kind of push the boat into the water, you're kind of self-directing yourself. Um, and that's just the nature of this this industry. It's a very kind of, it's so different from film and TV or, or stage, which has so many moving parts and so many different people involved. It's, it's really just you. Uh, and I think that's also why it's had some success uh, because it is one person and there's something very raw and honest and unique and intimate. And so a listener can feel that it's just this one person talking to them. And you don't get that in film and TV. Things can move you, obviously, but you're also being moved by the lighting and the soundtrack and, you know, all of this kind of the editing and all of that stuff. And so all of those things get superimposed onto a person's performance we instinctively feel that it's not just this one person, right? We feel that all these other things are also a part of why this is moving us. And with books, with audiobook narration, I really feel that because it's so stripped down, that that is the root of its success. And it's something that people crave and they, they want, and they want that relationship with a performer. And, you know, I've said this to people that, the, for lack of a better term, the fan mail uh, that I've gotten as it differs greatly between things people have written me about film and TV and things people have written me about audiobooks. And the audiobook uh, mail is, is, is much more intimate. And people really reveal a part of themselves and they feel like they have a much closer relationship with me um, than, you know, the people have written me about film and TV stuff. And I think that says a lot. Quick break to talk about Industry Town's newest partner and sponsor, The Headshot Truck. 
Since pandemic, the guys at the Headshot Truck have moved sessions to their newly remodeled studio in the NoHo Arts District, and they are shooting Sunday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. They have extensive COVID procedures with photographers wearing masks and gloves and working from appropriate social distances, so you can keep growing your acting career. For more information on all of this stuff, just check out the, the show notes. But here's the cool thing. The Headshot Truck really stayed busy during pandemic, creating all sorts of new packages to help actors uh, and accommodate their needs. The Unlimited Looks package is great if you need to kind of start over. You need a whole bunch of new looks because it's just what it says. It's unlimited looks in the amount of time. They've also launched, this one's really neat, the Working Actor Membership Program. This is a subscription service where you get six looks a year for just 49 bucks a month. And this is a great way that you keep your headshots and your social media and all that stuff really up to date and fresh kind of on demand whenever you need them and even the best yet use the promo code industry town to save 10 percent. please do that and now let's get back to eduardo when you're working you know my frame of reference for almost all voiceovers commercial voiceover um i did four years as the voice of wendy's fast food so that was like a lot of sprinting and it was and a, that's a nice gig it was a great gig it was a great gig <laughs> that i'm very thankful for oh, yeah. in my life yes but boy, does that just sound like a fundamentally different experience. That was four or yeah. five people on the phone, all with oh, yeah. different opinions, and they'd constantly right. put me on hold, and all of a sudden I can't hear anything. And you sure. come, they come back with a very diplomatic version of eight notes put into one, and then you're brought back oh, yeah. to redo it. And yeah. um, and so that experience already feels really different. And, and, and one practical yeah. way I'm curious about is with commercial VO, there's always that question of, you know, who are you talking to that grounds right. you in this situation do you imagine that you are talking to one of these people who's sending you that intimate piece of fan mail is there are you talking to the characters what is what is the relationship i think the best advice for any form of voice work be it commercial vo or, or narration is to think of talking to one person uh, i think that will get you a much more uh, real and grounded read or performance um, if you start trying to talk to a room full of people, it becomes something else. Um, and that was the best advice that I got when I, I, I've also done commercial view. Um, and I remember early on when I was doing stuff, they would just tell me, think of talking to one person, right? Because that intimate relationship that you're going to have with that one person you're thinking of is going to extend to everybody who's listening. Um, so, uh, I think, I think that, uh, works best. Do you change who that person is in your mind? Is it always, you know, is it a, is it a specific person from your life or is the, is it almost like a stranger walks into your booth and you're going to tell that person a story? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, in the last year or so, I've done more, well, not now, but I was doing more public readings um, with authors or just at readings. People would say, here's a short story. We're going to do an event at a library, let's say. Can you come read it? Um, and so suddenly I was reading to an audience, you know, yeah. and it was a very different feeling. And then I remember a funny thing happened. I was sort of get back in the booth and it still kind of happens to me is, I don't know why, but those experiences have sort of jumped into my head. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that time when you were at the Barnes and Noble and you're reading to that crowd. Or remember that time at the library and you're reading to that crowd. And that was such a great feeling, you know, and it was great to, to feel, you know, those hundred people sort of hanging on your every word. And so let's try to get that in here, but it's actually a different experience, right? Mm -hmm. You're playing to a crowd there. Yeah. And so I, I try to remind myself that I have to talk to one person. Um, the best idea is really to choose a person for whom it's appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something you might 
read to your best friend uh, with your best friend in mind might be something that you would read to, you know, if you had your mother in mind. Um, that might yes. flip, yeah, <laughs> for many reasons. Um, that might flip around in the course of a book. Um, I have this kind of filter now that I can sense when I'm talking to the crowd. You know, I can kind of hear it in my voice, and that's when I stop myself. When I feel like, oh, you're trying to play to the back row, aren't you? You know, yeah, we just like, got a little right. broader with these choices. Yeah, right? you know, you got a little theatrical there. You got a little like, hey, look at me, you know. <laughs> um, so, but your point about the commercial VO world, uh, I mean, I've had some experience as well. You know, the nine producers all giving you notes at the same time for that that five-word sentence <laughs> exactly. was really difficult, yeah, you know. Hard to hit right. everyone as an operative. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think I remember once... Want. Uh, I'll t I'll tell a quick story. Is, uh, Please. Yeah, it was a uh, it was actually a demo for a healthcare uh, pharmaceutical kind of thing, and um, the tagline was "We care about your health," right? And so I read it the way I read it, and then uh, you know one guy you know chimes in, he you know, hits the talk back and says, you know, I think it should really be we we care about your health, right? Like, okay, 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 we care about your health. And another woman chimes in, you know, this really should be your health. You know, so it's, we care about your health. I was like, okay. So we care about your health. Another guy chimes in, it should really be about health. I mean, that's what we're selling here. We're selling health, right? So it's, we care about your health. At the end of it, I'm like, we care about your health. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, it's like, absurd. can we have just, I know, I know it's just absurd. I love um, it. Yeah. And they often, you know, will, you know, God bless them, but they'll often Frankenstein your reads together, right? They'll take half mm -hmm. a sentence from here and half a sentence from there and put it together. Um, it's a very different thing in the audiobook world. That's that's so interesting. So you say that it's it's considered different from from voiceover, but it's a voiceover agent you have who's going to still be handling that for you. Absolutely, um, yeah. And what is the process now for you getting hired? Is it uh, just fielding offers is it do you find passion projects i mean uh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a little of everything uh so you know somebody like me who's you know well established in the field uh will essentially get offers you'll just get an email saying you know they want you to do this book what do you think um and i'm, I'm fortunate I, i'm very fortunate that most of the offers i get are, are very good books uh, at this point uh so i don't turn a lot of things down unless it's a real scheduling conflict um, then I get um, some indie authors will just approach me, um, say, oh, I've written this book and I'm going to self-publish. You know, would you do the audio for it? Um, and that's a slightly different kind of case-by-case -case basis. Um, I'll give it more of a, you know, more consideration in terms of like, what is this? You know, like, uh, who are you? You know, I don't necessarily <laughs> sure. know them um, because it's not coming from Penguin Random House or whatever. Um and then there's the passion project, which you mentioned, which, you know, one of the things that we have in this world is the, the wonderful public domain, which means that you can record things if you want to and nobody can stop you. So anything that's in the public domain, you, you know, after we get off this conversation, you can go record it, you know, yeah. and you can release it and you can sell it or you can put it out there for free. You know, you can do whatever you want. And so I've had a bit of that uh, in the last year. Uh, I have suggested titles to publishers that I've wanted to do, um, and they have gotten behind them, which is great. Uh, one was uh, Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass, which I've always wanted to do, and it's public domain, and and we did it. Uh, and, you know, so there are others that maybe I'll, I'll try to 
uh, suggest as well. So there's there's kind of three ways that it happens. There's mm -hmm. the comes through the agent, comes through the author, or you know the passion project, which you yourself can come up with. So how do you prep? How do you prep for an audiobook? I feel like most people who are listening to this are going to have the background in film and television auditions. They're going to be yeah. used to getting a couple sides, you know, twenty four right. to. 36 hours beforehand, right. before. right. one, uh, one breakdown, or there's going to be some people who maybe have commercial voiceover experience where you get it that day or when you show up at the, at the office. Sure. Right. Um, but gosh, the idea of taking on, you know, you recorded the Bible. I mean, how do you... I, I, I did. That took a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm going to ask you some questions on that one too, but I mean, how do you, how do you take a book that's that big and, and feel prepared yeah. I mean, the general rule of preparation for me, anyway, people do it differently, is you have to be you know, familiar with the book. You have to know the characters. You have to know, you know what the author sounds like. And one of the things that I do is I, when I get a book and I know I'm going to do it, is I will read the first 10, 15 minutes aloud just for myself. Um, and that helps me ground the author's voice. Because one of the, you know, it's paramount that we reflect what the author has done. You know, one thing you really don't want to do is impose something that was not intended by the author. And that can be a little different from film and TV or stage, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's a lot more freedom to kind of create something. Here, I think it's a, it's a stricter boundary. You really want to stay with what the author has written and intended. Um, so I do that, and then I kind of cast the characters. So I'll think, oh, you know, this guy, uh, this guy reminds me of Brian Norris. I'm just going to keep <laughs> Brian Norris in my head for this one, you know? And so, you know, I'm not going to imitate you. I'm not going to do that. But I'm just going to keep you in mind whenever this character shows up. And that's going to help me ground that character. So I kind of cast the major uh, characters of the book, the incidental characters you can kind of, you know, figure out on the fly. Um, and then you follow, you know, you follow the trail that the author has provided for you. You really don't want to stray too far from it. Um, so there's a certain amount of preparation, but then there's a certain amount of fluidity. You want to have a little, you still want to be surprised. You know, you still want to be in a place where you're excited to read this book and not like, oh, Jesus, I read this thing three times and I know what happens and who cares? Let's just get this over with. It's late, you know? So you want to get to a place where you're still being kind of delighted and surprised by the language. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I mean... These are some of the, I, I'm fortunate that I, I get to read some of the best stories. Um, and you mentioned the Bible, you know, that was a, a labor, uh, that involved a, a big research team. Uh, that was kind of a different project because you have so many names. Um, and you know, there was no way I was going to be able to get through that myself. Um, so I worked with a team for that and you know, those so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. I mean, that was just, I mean, mind numbing. It, it really was. It's just, and I was thinking like, who is going to listen to this? You know, who is, I mean, numbers in the Old Testament is nothing but a genealogy. You know, it's like, yeah. is anybody really going to listen to this? But it was incumbent upon us to get all those names pronounced correctly, you know? And so that would literally be like, we'd get a page done an hour, you know, Holy just because cow. we, oh, yeah, that was painful. I'm not going to lie. That was painful. But then the stories themselves, I mean, the stories in the Old Testament are so good. You know, they're just so good. And these characters are just seminal. Um, but I approached it as storytelling. You know, I, I very consciously wanted to stay away from any religious aspect of it. Um, it's, it's not my place as a narrator to, you know, impose on these stories that everybody knows so well, like my feeling about them. 
or my interpretation, you know. And there's certainly a number of places where one could, you know, you, you could, your own moral beliefs about things, you could say, oh, this is a horrible thing that they did to this woman, right? So I'm going to make sure that everybody listening knows that this is a horrible thing. But that's actually not your job. You know, your job is to, to provide the text and then let somebody interpret it on their own. So amazing project. Uh, you know, it took a long time, uh, but, you know, one that I will cherish for the rest of my life. How do you find the voice of God? I mean, that is that, that's got to yeah. be put you in your head at least a little bit, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny because that's another industry term, right? Voice of God. We think of like James Earl Jones, you know, Donna yeah, Fontaine. I, absolutely. Right? It's it's an industry term, uh, and there's a reason for it. It's that voice that feels like it commands the universe. I don't naturally have that voice. I don't have a big booming baritone, right? And so, but I also felt like that's fine for this, right? Because I'm telling it as a storyteller and I'm not trying to do characters. I wasn't going to be like, let's make, uh, let's make Abel kind of whiny, you know, and <laughs> let's make, uh, let's make Cain really, really kind of a bastard with a kind of a sneer, you know, like I wasn't going to do that. So I wasn't going to do that with the, the character of God either. The only thing I did with the voice of God was slow him down. Uh, and I just thought that let me just make that distinction, that he just speaks a little slower, because that'll just let people know that he's on a different level than everybody else. And so that's the only choice I made there. You know, people are only going to be hearing this, but the thing that's so interesting that I just watched you do is you almost kind of conducted or scored that yeah. as you spoke. Is yeah. that is would you call that technique? Was that is that a piece of your? I I form? do. I very much conduct myself, um, and sometimes I hit the mic, you know, and so I have to stop <laughs> and go back. So or like you know you, you hit the uh, you hit the uh, the iPad or something. Sure. Um, but uh, I do. I find that there's a a, a musicality to language uh, that I just love. I love sounds. I love the sounds of language. Uh, my father uh, is a well-known poet, and I. I grew up with, with the sounds of language and discussions of language. And so, yeah, I try to conduct myself through it. And I find that um, it helps my performance. Uh, I find that uh, it really helps me ground it so, there's, so I can just keep the rhythm and the musicality going. Uh, and I do that with my hands a lot. Maybe that's the Italian in me too, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I kind of have to talk a little bit with my hands. Uh, and so... Uh, that's the only movement I allow myself in the booth. Okay. I want to ask you just a little bit more about characters because I thought it was very interesting the way you described what you weren't going to do with Abel mm -hmm. giving him a sneer. Um, but I imagine for some stories you do embody a little more. You, you mentioned that you might have someone in your head. How do you right. know when you go too far? Like, do you have yeah, just a compass I mean, for that? Or is someone I, telling I, you? Yeah, I mean... Well, when you work with a director, hopefully the director will be that compass as well. But I have developed an internal compass, and I can just kind of feel it when that just doesn't sound right. You know, and I, I, I feel like I liken it to a musician, right? And they're just playing, even if they're just playing by themselves, like they can just, they know when that solo just wasn't quite in the pocket. And so they know they got to do it again. And it's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is doing something cartoonish. You know, because it's not, we're not talking about animation here. Yeah. We're not talking about cartoon voices. 
And I think actually, you know, it's the first time I've actually thought about it, but I think I've pulled back over the years uh, in the kind of voices that I've done. I think early on I was broader and bigger. Uh, and I think now I've pulled back and I've, I've found a different level of performing where I can just hint at things. And then it's almost like I trust the listener's imagination to fill in a little bit more. Um, so I don't feel like I have to hit it quite as hard. Um, so, but you are playing characters. There's no question. You do have to give them a voice. Um, I try to be subtle. Uh, I would rather err on the side of being too small than being too big if I have, have to make the choice. Yeah. Do you ever worry about too many people sounding similar? I mean, I, I guess what it sounds like a little bit is that we're not going to muscle with the voice too much, but we're going to bring right. a point of view and right. that character's way of engaging with the world. But might yeah. that mean that, you know, uh, one woman in your uh, book sure. might sound similar to it? Do you worry about that at all? Or I, do, that... I do. I uh, do. I try to make sure that the character's intent and meaning comes through uh, as much as their voice. And so in a conversation between two people, if I'm doing my job right, you should be able to know who's speaking by how it's being said as much as the vocal quality or tonal quality. Um, and then there are, you know, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. One of the great challenges I find in audiobook narration, uh, and it goes both ways, is uh, men voicing women and women voicing men. Um, and just because I am a man, I, I, I find it, it's easier for me to distinguish between male characters. You know, mm -hmm. I can do, I can line up 10 male characters and make them all sound probably pretty distinct, right? It's harder for me to do that with 10 female characters, just because I haven't spent, you know, decades of my life speaking with those voices. Um, and so I think that's a real, it's a real uh, challenge. Um, and so again, I do feel like the less is more approach will serve you well. Uh, and also, this is a place where, you know, it's really incumbent upon the, the writing to be good um, because the writing should also be fairly easy to follow, right? And I don't want to get in trouble with, with authors, but there have been times where I've gotten bogged down in a scene because I find it hard to s figure out who's talking, right? Because they all sound the same, you know? Sure. Um, and I, you know, with screenwriting, it's interesting, like, you know, by the time you see it on a screen, obviously you have different actors playing the parts. And so it's easy to distinguish them. But if you've read screenplays, and I'm sure you have, the best screenplays are the ones where the characters just leap off the page, right? They all mm -hmm. sound different. Just somehow they just sound different. And the same thing is true in dialogue and in novels. It's like the characters should sound different. So, you know, these are the challenges of the, of the business and, um, I'll say it one more time. I do think the less is more approach is probably the safest way to go. Yeah, I mean, that's an important thing to take from this. I, yeah. I'm curious, your your text, um, What uh, it seems like probably mostly using an iPad now. Is that yeah. rather than any hard copy? Yeah. Uh, are you marking this thing up or is it clean? Um, yeah, I, well, one thing I do is uh, I will go through, I don't mark obsessively. Some people do. They'll like highlight every character with a certain color and you know make sure it's all color coded all the way through. That seems like an amazing amount of work, which I'm not sure what benefit I would get from it. Um, I certainly go through it and uh, mark places. You know, as I, to prepare for a book, I, as I said, I'll read the first 10, 15 minutes aloud, and then I'll skim the rest of it because I want to have a, an understanding of the book. 
uh, without being so steeped in it that, you know, it's kind of done in my head. Um, but yes, I'll mark certain places in it, just a, you know, quick little pencil mark, something to remember like, oh, this is an important passage. You know, this is really something that you can tell that the author means for you to take this passage, you know, they, they've elevated it above, you know, what came before, uh, in their language and in the way it's been set up. So let's make sure that I, as the narrator, give it that. Uh, but my my texts are fairly clean, I will say. I don't do a lot of marking. Okay, one more break to share one of the other projects I've been working on. Uh, on Tuesdays, I co-host JRS Happy Hour Conversations with John Rosenfeld. If you haven't checked them out yet, please, please do. These are free. They're right about an hour. And they are live conversations over Zoom with some incredible guests, people I feel so lucky to talk to and who I feel so lucky they answer my questions and they answer your questions. Um, we've had recently Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat. We had J.J. Abrams primary producing partner Brian Burke, showrunner Gloria Calderon-Kellett, uh, just some amazing, inspiring, interesting people who have great insight into the industry. If you want more info on that, the best thing you can do is join the Facebook group, JRS Happy Hour Conversations. Everyone is welcome. It is not just for JRS clients. Um, it's also, there's a link in the show notes, but you can get sign up and registration forms, announcements, replays of previous happy hours. I'll also be sharing audio on this feed in the off weeks from the happy hours. So that's another way to catch up. Uh, this Tuesday's guest is one day at a time star, Todd Grinnell. He's incredible and awesome. And it would be really fun to hang out with uh, him and all of you. And that's going to be at 4 PM Pacific time on zoom. Just check out the show notes for the registration link. Okay. Back to Eduardo looking at the the technical aspects if you were just going to give people the kind of basic pointers on like pace and breath i feel like those are some yeah. questions that we are are the easy things to to, to yeah. skip by um yeah. what are kind of some foundational pieces yeah i mean you know pace is an interesting one because i always feel like i'm going too fast um but then when i listen back to it it seems okay you know it doesn't feel like i'm going too fast but I, somehow I always feel like I'm racing through this, you know, and so I'm constantly telling myself to slow down. There's a, uh, a man named uh, George Guadel, who's a, kind of a legend in the audiobook world. He, uh, he's done like a thousand audiobooks. He's, you know, been around for a very long time. And he uh, does a lot of work with a company called Recorded Books, and I've done a lot of work with them as well. And they used to have a, uh, their offices down in Union Square in New York. And there was the booth they had i think five or seven different booths and one of them was kind of george's booth because he was working there all the time and there was a big sign that he'd put up for himself it just said slow down george and i've always remembered that you know and i've always remembered that because it is important that we allow for some space for the listener to absorb what was said you know they don't have I mean, they could pause and start, pause and start, but it's different than reading in that, you know, if you're reading something and a phrase comes along and it really knocks your socks off that you can just stop, right? You just stop and think about it. While you're listening to something, that great phrase might come along, but then the next one's going to come right after it, you know? Now somebody, as I say, could pause, but we need to remember that people need to absorb what's being said. And so there needs to be that time and I'm a big believer and a big fan of the silence in audiobooks. And I think it's kind of underused. And that is like giving that gap between places. 
you know, people give it if there's a natural break in a page. Obviously, people give it between chapters, that kind of thing. But I think it can be important to just, in the middle of a paragraph, if something significant happened or a great turn of phrase happened, just to stop for a second and let it breathe. And then you can go back to what you were doing, you know. Um, but I think it makes for a richer listening experience. But pace is certainly is a huge question. I love that concept because it invites audience participation. And the other one right. really pushes it away, even if that's not your intention. It's, it's right. I'm almost going to list off this story for you rather than the idea of storyteller being someone mm-hmm. who curates an experience, really walks you through this right. and helps you know kind of what to look at and what to think about and kind of points you in the right direction. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because with film and TV and stage, we have the expectation that it's going to go from point A to point B at its own pace, right? We're not going to stop the actors on stage, right? They're just going to go. Obviously, these days we have the technical ability to pause the film and come back to it tomorrow, all of that stuff. But the, the intention is that a film runs its 90 minutes, 100 minutes, and you watch it in those 90 or 100 minutes, right? And it has its pace. Reading has always been a different thing. Reading has been an area in which people have dictated their own pace. And it's not expected that you'll read a novel in one sitting, for example. Um, And it's kind of expected that while reading, you will pause and there will be different things. And, you know, even if it's just having to get up and shift yourself in the the chair or whatever, in the sofa, you know, and that's going to stop you. You know, you don't have to turn the book over for a second while you do that. It's different from the film that keeps playing while you're doing that but you have control of the book. And so the audiobook comes along, and some of that control is removed, right? Uh, again, unless somebody's going to be obsessively pausing, you know, we have imposed a pace on it. And so that's why I feel it's, it's really important for narrators and any actor that wants to get into this business to remember that you're there to serve the book and to serve the book as honestly and cleanly as you can. And you really need to follow the, the the kind of the guidelines that the author is giving you and to stay within it as much as you can. And so when I choose that moment for a pause, you know, be it in the middle of a paragraph or in the middle of a sentence, if I feel it's appropriate, I do it because I think the author would want that, not because I want it. And I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, it's almost <coughs> it's almost like being their their translator in a certain way. I think translation is probably, yeah, no, I think translation is actually probably the best comparison because it is, you know, we have to uh, admit that it's not the original, right? The translation is not the original. It wasn't the original language. Something is going to be changed. You know, people talk about lost in translation, you know, some things are going to be lost. Um, And we have to acknowledge that something has changed. The way it's being presented has changed. And so just as a translator is going to work her ass off to make sure that it's as faithful to the original as possible. So is the narrator. That's a beautiful image. I like it. Talk to me a little bit more about some specific stuff. Uh, breath and swallowing and like mouth noises. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be doing that marathon, yeah. Yeah. there's a certain, there's muscles that need to be learned. And I, you know, I catch myself with the catch breath and right. you know, sometimes you hear the gross shit yeah 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 uh, what what tips do you have what's your well hydration 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 that's certainly one uh i am i'm sipping at water all the way through my sessions anytime i stop if i have to stop for any reason i i make sure that i have a sip of water while i'm doing that 
the breathing, yeah, you know, uh, the intake of a breath, you know, do you want it in there? Do you not want it in there? Do you <laughs> want to hear somebody go or not? I don't know. You know, it's, uh, that's an interesting question because that breath is not in the text, right? Exactly. It doesn't say inhalation, then begin sentence. Um, and yet we are translating, right? And so we're going to have to allow that a certain amount of that exists. Um, the breathing, yeah, I, uh, I have learned a couple of techniques. Um, one is close to what uh, musicians uh, do with circular breathing, like uh, trumpet players, where they're taking in through the nose and out through the mouth. Um, and I find that breathing in the nose doesn't bring invite that kind of rush of air that makes that sound. And so if you can learn to take little breaths in through the nose, you can get through some of those longer sentences a little more easily. Um, I, I also think the comma is your best friend uh, when it comes to this, because that's a natural pause for you to get a little oxygen. Um, and, you know, there are techniques that you learn as you go through it. Um, one thing that I, when I was, one of the first books I did, I was so tired at the end of it. And I think a lot of it was that I wasn't breathing right. Mm -hmm. I was really, you know, straining the, the oxygen levels in my body, which was causing enormous amounts of fatigue. Now I, I record at night, so fatigue is there for a different reason. But, you know, when I was doing sessions during the day, it wasn't quite so much. I could do five, six hours and then, you know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon would roll around and I'd be fine. You know, yeah. I just, I just learned how to do it. Uh, but yeah, there's a phys physical aspect to this that people don't understand. Um, there's a lot of stillness. There's a lot of breathing. There's a lot of controlling, you know, the mouth noises, all of that stuff. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I tell people, and a lot of people say this, like, oh, you want to be an audiobook narrator? Okay, here's an idea. Take a book, go into a small room, sit there, read it for hours, come out, tell me how you feel about it. You know, <laughs> you might you might think, uh, you know, that's not for me. Um, you know. <laughs> I think there's also something to just the temperament concept you were talking about earlier, that it feels like meditation. Because if you're yeah. in there trying to bang it out as fast as you can, then right. you're going to have this, this, or if you're trying to hit the back of the house or, or, yeah. or fill in your own artistic choices and, and become that editorializing on the text, I would imagine a lot of that brings out a more raw and jagged breath and a less... Yeah supported yeah. calm yeah grounded and that you know that might be appropriate in certain cases or certain passages but i would imagine not overall um you know we have to c control our voices we have to control our breath throughout this this marathon um yeah i i didn't understand how physically demanding it was when i first started i really didn't uh, and i certainly do now and i take it very seriously and i think of myself now as a as an aging athlete right <laughs> you, you hear about like oh you know the you know, the kid entering the league at age 20, you know, they stay up all night, they go to the clubs, they're out partying, they eat McDonald's, they show up on the court the next day and they're still in great shape. Then you've got the 40-year-old veteran next to them who's stretching and applying the balms and, you know, doing yoga. He hasn't stopped stretching since the last game to the next exactly. game. You know, yeah, he's been, he's, exactly. He's been sitting in a bucket of ice for the last 12 hours. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm more of that guy now. I have to be very careful with my instrument where... Uh, I, I wasn't as, I was a little more cavalier about it in the early days, but I did lose my voice at one point. I, I absolutely lost my voice. What caused um, and, that? Uh, probably misuse, you know, and probably just pushing too hard and thinking like, oh yeah, I could do an eight hour session. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I can do that. Um, yeah, I can do an eight hour session with just five minute breaks along the way. Sure. I got this. No problem. You know, and then you just, whew, no, you can't actually. And I lost my voice. I had to go see some specialists and 
you know, and now I work with a voice coach uh, who's uh, giving me all kinds of, you know, exercises and techniques and something I, I wouldn't have done a year or two ago. Um, and, you know, I'm careful to limit my caffeine and alcohol and all the fun things in life are, are you know, it's like the aging athlete. It really is. You know, they're watching their diet so carefully. Yeah? They're measuring their carbs, you know. Um, so I have to do that as well. So the main uh, advice to people in terms of taking care of their instrument, is there anything that's not kind of the most obvious? I mean, I feel like we hear a lot about caffeine, staying yeah. hydrated, um, you know, obviously good nutrition. Is there anything a little more yeah, secret I, tools of the trade? Yeah, I, you know, most of it's pretty obvious. As you say, it's, uh, you know, don't strain your voice unnecessarily is a is a huge one. Like, you know, don't sing full volume in the car while you're driving around, that's probably not a great idea. You know, it might be fun, but it's probably not the best thing to do. Um, you know, if you have little kids as I do, don't yell at your children, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not going to benefit anybody really, but certainly not going to benefit you later. Um, now, most of it is is fairly obvious, um, but there are, you know, actual vocal techniques of how to support your voice that uh, singers and Broadway performers and theater performers know of. And I, I guess it, if if you have to compare it to any other branch of acting, it, it's closest to theater actors in that sense that, you know, film actors, they can, you know, it's a grueling life. There's no question. You're shooting long hours in strange places at odd hours and all that. But there's also a lot of rest built in, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. like when they're changing a setup, you might have an hour, two hours, three hours, and you're just sitting in a trailer. You could take a nap, you know? That doesn't happen on stage, and it doesn't happen in audiobooks. So I think the better comparison is you have to think of yourself like a stage actor, right? You have to treat your body that way. And you see the people that do musical theater especially. I mean, these people are in fantastic shape because you're not going to get through eight shows of The Lion King, you know, for a year unless you're in great shape and your voice too. Uh, so I think that's the most apt comparison is, you know, you have to think of yourself as like a, a Broadway musical theater person and treat your body that way. I always hear something a little classical when I, when I listen to you, your work and a lot of people in the field where you feel, a supported voice, but it doesn't feel like it's necessarily booming for a musical. There is mm -hmm. something about that. The text is the text is the image of the text, you know, it's, right. it's, it's, and then there's also just playing through to the end of your speech mm. rather than like letting that die off at the end. So many film actors, I've done it before you get to mumble, you yeah. know, it's like you just get to start a line and have it just trail off and you don't get to do that. It's not a discipline. I think most actors have no. unless they've worked on stage is to get and, and, uh, that last line. Last and some speech. actors have, have made nice careers mumbling their way through film, you know. That's true. Uh, it becomes their hallmark. It becomes their trademark, you know. Um, no, you certainly can't do that. Nobody's going to listen to you mumble through 300 pages of something. Mumbling um, Walt Whitman. <laughs> yeah, mumbling Walt Whitman, you know. I was singing myself, I was singing myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a market for that. Yeah, but it I don't be. think, it might be. I don't think it's a maybe big little one. Bits. But maybe just little a little bit. Yeah, here yeah. and there. Um, here and there. I was going to ask, do, do your kids feel lucky to get a bedtime story from you? <laughs> do, they, do they know that people might pay really they, good they, money for that? They certainly know what I do. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have you know, won some awards, which I, I keep outside my studio. Um, and you know, my studio is in the basement, so it's hardly glamorous. You know, it's not like the big glass you know, showcase of all my awards or anything. It's just a little shelf outside my studio. But you know, they know what I do, uh, certainly. 
these days I've been working at night, so I don't get to do the, uh, the story time. Mm -hmm. Uh, although before I was working at night, uh, my son who's now eight, kind of got into the Harry Potter books as, as you do when you're eight. And I was like, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll read them. Of course. Like, no, they, they preferred my wife to, to read them. <laughs> I was like, Keeps wait you a humble. minute. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, great. I don't have to read Harry Potter from start There's to finish. Thousands and yeah. thousands of pages. Exactly. So I was kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Um, you know, but one thing my kids and I do, which is, I think, so cute, is that uh, we, we do funny voices with each other. You know, they know I do, I, again, it's not cartoonish in what I do in audiobooks. Uh, I try to stay away from that. But when I'm with them, obviously, you, you make it bigger because they're, they're kids. And so we do like funny voices. And now they've gotten really into it. And, uh, you know, I heard them in the, I had to drive them somewhere today and they were in the back seat. And my, my daughter who's five said something and it sounded kind of odd somehow. And my son's, my son said, what are you British? And suddenly she started riffing on a British accent. Amazing. You know, I, I was like, you're five, you know, <laughs> how do you know what a British accent is? And she's sitting there in the back going, I'm British, I'm British. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and they like, uh. Incredible. They like, yeah, they, they've started to identify accents, which is hilarious. Um, and they like to do kind of funny voices, as I said. And so that's fun for me. Um, but um, they certainly know what I do. And I, I think they appreciate it. So that's nice. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about the, uh, the super technical side of this, the, uh, the yeah. actual, the hardware. Um, mm. What do you record with? And how did you make those choices for yourself? I, uh, so, okay, so the industry standard for recording software is Pro Tools, uh, which is, you know, what most musicians use as well. Uh, and then when it comes to the choice of mic, you know, there's a, there's a wide range. Uh, I, what I did was I, I just used, I bought one that I'd been using in another studio and the engineer in that studio said, you know, this mic is really good for you. Uh, so it happens to be, I'm not, I'm not trying to do a plug here, but it's an Audio-Technica mic. And he was like, yeah, this, this mic works really well with your voice. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll get that mic. Uh, and then I got a simple little interface. And uh, then what I did, because I'm not that tech savvy, although I'm learning a lot, um, is I had an engineer friend come over and kind of set me up. And since I'm the only one who works in my booth, uh, is kind of a you know, set it and forget it kind of scenario. So he set everything up. He puts them the right uh, high pass filters in and all that kind of stuff. And so I just get to, to narrate and not worry too much about it. Although I did completely screw myself the other day by fiddling with it just a little bit. Uh -oh. And now I, I know. Why oh, do we no. do this? Why, why, why do, do we, we do, do this? this? Oh no. Yeah. I was, I mean, you'll appreciate this. I was like, it was late and I was, you know, I was getting a little tired and I was like, let me, let me just boost the input a little bit oh, so no. so i'm so i'm not losing so much volume right because sure. i could kind of feel myself and i was like i don't want to i don't want to lose it in these last few pages so let me just tweak this dial a little <laughs> bit and then all of a sudden it's like everything fell apart it's like a house <laughs> of cards and so then i had to spend the day with like you know my friend again i'm like on the phone with him calling him for tech support um but you do learn a lot and there are a lot of uh, narrators who are really into it, you know, they're real kind of gearheads and they, they know all about the plugins and all that stuff. I'm not quite one of those guys. Um, and also there's, you know, a lot of magic that can happen in post. And, uh, so, you know, when I hand off the files, people far, far better than I are, are making them sound even better when they get their hands on it. Was there um, but a, it's it's okay. a it's a fairly easy setup. Sorry to interrupt you. It's no, a please. it's a fairly it's a fairly simple setup. You're talking about a microphone 
a simple interface and recording software, whether it's Pro Tools or something else. It's, it's not that complicated a thing if people want to set up their own studios. How much of a learning curve was there for you with Pro Tools? I've mostly used Audacity. I've used Twisted Wave. I've right. personally not used a ton of it, in part because it just seemed it seemed like a lot. Just, yeah, I it, you could it, record it, an orchestra with that. Sure, sure. You could, you know, do the next Coldplay album in it, you know, with 8,000 tracks or whatever. Uh, it, it's kind of like any of these programs, right? It's like Photoshop. Like, you could do amazing things with it, or you could, you know, just apply a filter, you know. So... Again, I kind of have it kind of set up simply to do what I need it to do. I've learned, uh, you know, through some trial and error and through some sort of kind of tutorials with my friend, uh, you know, how to know at least what I'm looking at. Um, and then, you know, what you need to know as far as uh, recording audiobooks, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, you're really, there's like four or five different functions you're going to use. And that's about it. Because you're not trying to sweeten the seventh cello, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? You're just talking about one voice. So the simplicity of it uh, works in our favor. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of fun to mess around with and kind of fun to learn a new thing. And my son usually comes down. I'm surprised he hasn't come down, actually. Um, I thought he would interrupt us talking. But he comes down and asks me all about it. He's like, oh, well, what's that bar? And what's, what's that thing? And so he's kind of learning, too. That's fascinating. I, okay. yeah. that, that makes it feel a little less... A little less scary, the Pro Tools part. Um, yeah, I mean, the Pro Tools part, just to, one more thing I'll say about it. Please. Again, it's like something extraordinarily co complicated. It's, all right, think about like, uh, I don't know if the metaphor holds up, but it's, a, it's like a car, right? You need to know, what, five, six different things in order to drive the car? You don't have to be a mechanic. It's true. Right? So, but you, you will take the car to the mechanic when that day, <laughs> when that day comes. But you yourself do not need to be a mechanic in order to drive a car. And so all of these programs are kind of like that. I can put it in drive, I can put it in neutral, I can put it in reverse, and it will get me from point A to point B. But I'm not going to look under the hood and start changing the gaskets. I don't even know what a gasket is. But, you know, but that don't change thing. them. Don't I'm change not going to change it. Yeah, because I did the other day, them. evidently. <laughs> yeah, I know. So... You know, you could you could probably. I mean, you seem like a fairly tech savvy guy. You could probably figure it out in a day or two. So, um, so the last area that I wanted to hit um, yeah. is uh, is people if they want to get started. I mean, you know, it's interesting that you say that you got into this accidentally because that was actually how I got into voiceover initially too. My agency at the time called me and they said we built a booth. <laughs> have a demo reel you have an audition i thought great oh no right. <laughs> all right. at the same time panic and excitement right. um i hear what you said earlier about lock yourself in a room record yeah. record something uh public domain and i think that's really beautifully practical and simple um but in terms of how people might get started in this industry my guess is you've yeah. had a couple of people take you out to coffee and ask you that question before <laughs> i yeah guarantee. i mean yeah, no, look, it's a, one thing that's great about it is it's a growing industry. And so it needs more voices. Uh, I believe it is the fastest growing segment of entertainment. It's certainly the fastest growing segment of publishing. There's no doubt about that. But it might be growing faster than, you know, video games, TV, all of that. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it's certainly growing very rapidly. I think it, it was eight years now of double-digit growth, which is pretty incredible. Um, and the number of titles is, I mean, we're deep into the tens of thousands of titles being recorded every year. So there's certainly opportunity. There's no question. 
Uh, and there are uh, ways for people to get into it. Um, again, I'm not here to, to plug other people's businesses, but uh, Audible has something called ACX.com, which allows you to put up demos and, you know, audition for jobs. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, Penguin Random House, a major publisher, has something called Ahab, which is the same same idea. It's uh, you can have a, a talent profile and you can have your clips and you can see what projects are available and you can, uh, I've not used it myself, but you can, my understanding is you can uh, audition for them that way. Uh, and the, the rights holders will, you know, sift through the auditions and select somebody. Uh, so there are opportunities uh, like that. And I, I would imagine there are other platforms as well uh, beyond ACX and Ahab that are out there. Um, people are setting up independent publishing companies, you know. Um, people are uh, starting podcasts, uh, where, and there's a lot of podcasts, uh, where they are doing fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then their voice is out there, right? And somebody might come to them that way. So it is, it's a very open world in that sense. It's, uh, I, I've, I've found that there are many ways to get started if you, if you want to. Uh, and I think in this sense, it's, it's, there are more opportunities than if you just said, oh, I want to go to Hollywood and be in a TV series, right? That's a, probably a narrower funnel to get through. But the audiobook world is growing and in need of new voices. And also, I, w I do want to say this about the industry, which I think is important, is that it is a wonderfully diverse industry. Uh, and I, I, I love it for that. You know, there are people from all walks of life working in this industry, and you do not need to have necessarily what we talked about earlier, that sort of, you know, booming James Earl Jones voice in order to be a successful audiobook narrator. What you need to be is a good storyteller and a good interpreter of text and a good reader. So, you know, I don't want people to be discouraged if they think, oh, I don't have the greatest voice in the world. You know, it's not necessarily about that. It's about can you tell a story uh, and a lot of the other things we talked about. So, and people are, and it's great because, you know, there are, you know, you know, people, you know, men can narrate women's books. Uh, women can narrate men's books. Uh, there, there are less of those barriers in casting that you find in other arenas of acting. So I think there's more opportunity there as well. There was another, you know, you mentioned the Times piece that was about me. There was another one that came a couple of weeks later about narrators of color, and it highlighted um, a, a number of wonderful narrators in this business, and also how narrators of color are are working, you know, across the field. They're not just narrating authors of color, right? You can find a black woman narrating a white man. Yeah. You don't get that as much in film and TV. Nope. You know, if the part is written for a white man, there's not a lot of black women in the room being considered for the role. But that is happening in audiobooks, and I think it's great. What I love so much about what you said, and I just want to underline, is you never mentioned to go try to get an agent, or the first thing you should do is make a demo. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe you'd want to have that demo to upload it to something, but what you're talking about is creating work. What you're saying is... yeah. Get yourself into the marketplace, create some stuff, find yeah. text that you want to read, and that business side of it kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the demo thing, I, I, I would imagine the ACX and uh, Ahab and other platforms will need some kind of demo. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it's not like a, an acting reel, 
right? Where you have to, oh, you have to have these like high, slick, you know, productions, otherwise you're going to look like an amateur. Like, because the technology is there and because it is a simpler art form in terms of technically speaking, um, you can create a, a demo pretty easily. I mean, you could probably get a, a, a very simple lav mic that plugs into your iPhone and record something on your iPhone. You know, and if you went into a quiet room, because the room, we were talking about equipment before, the room is a big part of it. You know, what yeah, room are you in? about that. Yeah. Yeah, I will in a second. Um, oh, yeah. You could probably make a demo, you know, pretty easily. And you sure. can upload it and you can get started. And it's not like, uh, again, it's not like a, an actor's uh, uh, showreel for where they have to have all these clips from these expensive projects and stuff. Now, the room, okay, over to that. So, yeah, the, the equipment is easy. The room is a little trickier because you have to have a quiet room. It has to be isolated and you have to, you can't just shut yourself in a room because you have to breathe, right? So you have to have ventilation, which is the, it's, this is what trips everybody up. Everybody's like, oh, I got a closet. I'll just, you know, hang some, you know, thick blankets around it and I'll, you know, put a little wedge into the door so nothing leaks in and I'm good to go. Well, 20 minutes later, you don't have oxygen and you're going to, you know, start to pass out. <laughs> so you have to figure out a way to get some ventilation. Uh, there are, I'm not going to go through it now, but um, there are many, you know, places online that can walk you through it. Uh, but yeah, you've got to have some sort of tube coming in that brings air into the room. Um, so that is, you could get away with it if you were doing commercial VO, right? You could just go into the room for 15 minutes and just kind of, you know, sweat it out and then come back out. But if you're going to be in there for hours, now you got to figure out that side of it. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I have this is the last question. This is the last one sure. I got. It's got a two part though. Favorite day doing this job and least favorite day doing this job. Hmm. Meaning, like, what's best about it and what's worst about it? I'm just talking about your uh, for the best. I, I'm interested in joy. Just like that moment when you felt just kind of euphoria from what you do and. Uh, worst I will leave to you whether that was yeah, frustration yeah, okay. or creative okay, sure. uh, yeah 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 I get you all right uh, one of the best days was when I finished a project that took five years uh, to do uh, it was a 3,600 page memoir by a Norwegian writer named Karlova Knauskor and it took us five years because the translations were happening simultaneously as the recording so we had to wait Wow. And I got really into this project. I loved it. It was sort of method acting for me. It changed my whole perception of what audiobooks were. It was the first time I understood it as a, as a performer as opposed to a reader or a narrator. It was the first time I really understood it as an actor, to be honest. I was like, I'm acting, right? I'm acting the part of this man. It's a first-person narrative. It's a monologue. It's 135 hours, but it's a monologue, you know. Um, <laughs> and when we finished it, uh, which was a couple of years ago now, it was, a, it was a very proud, bittersweet moment, but I, I, felt, I felt very alive. Uh, and so I knew something had happened. Uh, the same way that maybe like a run of a show ends and you've just said goodbye to the cast, you know, and you've, you've walked through the dressing room for the last time and you picked up those flowers that somebody, you know, generously bought you and you walk out the stage door and you just feel like you've done something. Right. And it just, it was that kind of moment. And I, it, it was a great feeling. Worst day. Um, there is a project, I'm not going to name it because I don't want to call attention to it, sure. but I feel like I kind of, 
I kind of, I kind of missed it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't get it right. And I kind of, I kind of regret it. It's always, it sticks in my head. And so when it came out, I remember, you know, there's that period between you deliver the files, you get the corrections, you send those in, but it's still not out in the world, right? You've still got a few weeks or whatever it is. And then it came out. And I remember thinking like, oh no, I should have, I should have done a better job with this one. And that is the worst feeling in the world as an actor, when you feel like you could have done something more with it. You could have done something better with it. It deserved more than what you gave it. And so that's a very empty feeling. And so that was the worst day. So, but you know, that's the life of an actor. It's, uh, you have highs and lows. So. Thank you for sharing those. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, any last piece of advice to anyone who's listening to this and thinking that this might, uh, be for them or they're curious? Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, I, I will say, I think it's, it's important to underline once again, that the most important thing about this work is to be faithful to the book, right? That is what we are tasked with doing is presenting the book. You mentioned translation. I think that's spot on. We have to bring the book as to an audience and as close away as possible as the original print version, right? And it's a tricky thing. And so we have this, this line that we have to ride where, of course, we want people to, to think what a great job we did, but we don't want that to be the story, right? What a great reader. It still has to be what a great book, right? And so you kind of need to disappear into it. And that is an important thing to remember for actors that you got you to gotta let go of a bit of the ego here. It's not going to be about you so much. You're going to be serving something else. You know, you're going to, you're going to, your face is going to go away from this. Your body is going to go away from this. It's just going to be your voice and a book. And that's, that's the nature of this business. Do you ever talk to authors about it? Do you ever interface oh, sure. with them? Yeah. Is that a big part of it or? I, I or love it that. It is rare, but I get to do it more now um, that I've, you know, had a, a little success in it. And especially when you come back to an author, like for a second time, if you're going to do another one of their books, or if you're doing a series, perhaps. Um, and yeah, no, I've, I've had some, some great, you know, I've developed some friendships with some of these authors. And I really like that because the more I get to know them, the better job I can do with their book, I think, you know, because I, I, they wrote their book, they may have hidden themselves behind characters and settings. I think it was Hemingway that said, you know, every book is essentially him, right? It's so that author is essentially the book. And so I want to, the more I can know them, the more I can know the book. So that's been a great, a great development in this. Oh, that sounds really creatively satisfying. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. And it's part of, it's one of the, you know, we talked about the sort of solitude of this business and the self-directing and all of that. That is an area where you do get to interact with, with somebody else. So that the creative process comes alive that way. Um, no, I, I love it. You know, I love talking to authors. Well, this has been uh, wildly informative and super lovely just to connect and chat with you for a little while. It was it great talking too to you. damn long. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and thank you to our newest sponsor, The Headshot Truck. As always, thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios and Actor Salon. It is good to be back. Uh, please check out this space over the next couple weeks for more episodes on the world of voiceover. 
I will also be announcing some really cool new workshops at JRS and Actor Salon, along with some giveaways, so check that out. And uh, look, if you have any voiceover questions or things, you know, questions, topics that you want covered, email me, industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can message me on social media at industrytownpodcast and uh, my own personal Instagram at the Brian Norris. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what do you want to hear about? What are you liking? What are you not liking? All that good stuff. Uh, and I hope to see you at Happy Hour on Tuesday with Todd Grinnell. That would be great. Until then, I'll see you for the next episode soon. <laughs>